Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Almighty God our Father, we pray that you would fill our hearts with the joy of this season, that we would sing your coming, your arrival to be with us in Jesus Christ throughout history and at the end of all things. We pray that we would long for your coming and we would join our voices to the voice of your spirit in saying, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. The word Advent means coming or arrival. It's very nearly the last word of the Bible. The book of Revelation ends with a little Advent liturgy. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. And then all join in with the Spirit and the Bride and say, come. And Jesus answers and says, I come, I am coming. And then just before the end of Revelation, the prayer goes out again, Lord, come. Maranatha, an Aramaic word that means Lord, come, is very nearly the last word of the Bible. It's the Omega word of Scripture. But it's also the Alpha word of Scripture. It's the first word of the Bible. The first promise of the gospel is a promise of a coming redeemer. Someday the Lord promises Adam and Eve there will be a seed of the woman who will be born to crush the head of the serpent. He will bruise his heel, but he'll defeat the serpent. Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden, but they live their lives longing for return. They live their lives longing for advent. The advent of the seed. It's the alpha word of scripture. It's the omega word of scripture. And all promises of God in between. All prayers of God's people between Genesis and Revelation. And until the end of history. Are prayers for God's coming. For his arrival. For his advent. The little advent dialogue at the end of Revelation. Is a dialogue of lovers. It's the bride calling on her bridegroom to come to her. Her longing for his coming is the longing of a lover for the presence and the love and the embrace of the bridegroom. And that sums up the whole history of Israel. The Lord is the bridegroom of Israel. He comes to Israel in Egypt and rescues his bride from her captor. He enters into a marriage covenant at Sinai. He gives her a land. He adorns her. He gives her wealth. And yet the story of the bride is often a story of infidelity. Israel turns away from her husband and follows after other gods, seeks out other husbands. Her desires are turned to others, to other to other bridegrooms. The Lord continues to be patient. He continues to seek his bride. Sometimes he withdraws. And the bride is left longing for the arrival of her bridegroom. Longing for the Lord to come. To come out of hiding. Not to hide himself from their distress. But to be present with them. To deliver them. To draw near. The Spirit of God works with the bride, Israel. 
so that the bride Israel is filled with the desire for the coming of her husband. She speaks with the voice of the Spirit, like the bride in the Song of Songs. When the bride in the Song of Songs realizes her husband is missing, she says, On my bed at night after night I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but I did not find him. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and gone. My heart went out to him, but I did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. I am lovesick. That's Israel's condition. When she's in her right mind, that's Israel's condition through much of her history. Longing, lovesick for the arrival of the bridegroom. And the bridegroom comes. He goes into hiding. He withdraws in judgment, in defiance, in jealousy. But he always comes back. And finally, he comes in the flesh. And when he comes in the flesh, the friends of the bridegroom, the leaders of Israel, who are supposed to protect the bride, instead turn on the bridegroom and kill him. But love is stronger than death. And the bridegroom's love can't be stopped by a cross. And the bridegroom comes back from the grave, still seeking his bride and securing her and winning her. Israel's history is a love affair between Israel and her husband. And the husband, the bridegroom, secures the victory, secures uh, his bride. He comes back for his bride. This is not just the story of Israel. It's the story of everyone. It's the story of the Gentiles. The Gentiles have some distant memory of the promise of Eden. They're longing for a deliverer. They're longing for some kind of savior. They're longing to return to some lost paradise. They know that they've lost it. They're longing for Advent. And in a sense, the desire and the passion of the Gentiles is stronger and more intense and more frenzied than that of Israel. The Lord comes to Israel. The Lord speaks to Israel. The Lord dwells among Israel. He comes hidden within thick clouds. He comes hidden behind tent curtains. But he's there. He's close by. But the Gentiles know of the bridegroom. They have a distant memory of the promise of the seed. But he's nowhere to be found. They are without God and without hope in the world. As Paul says. And so they long in frenzied desperation for the coming of the bridegroom. Maranatha is the beginning prayer of humanity. It's the final prayer of the Bible. It is the prayer that sums up everything we want from God. Jews and Gentiles are finally joined together in the bride, as the bride. Filled with the spirit, crying out, come Lord Jesus, come to us. Be near us. Hold us. Don't let us wander. Forgive us. Forgive our infidelities. Take us back into your care. Every prayer that we have is a prayer for God's presence and his advent, for his arrival among us, because his presence is everything. If he's with us, then we lack nothing. And so we pray for him to come. The Spirit and the Bride say, come, Lord Jesus. 
And in the context of Revelation, what they're longing for, what the Spirit and the Bride are praying for, is the presence of the Bridegroom, but the presence of the Bridegroom to do particular things. Revelation is written, the visions are given to John, and he writes them down for a people that's in being persecuted, churches that are being hounded by first Jews and shortly by Romans. And what the bride and the spirit pray for when they pray for the coming and the arrival and the advent of Jesus is Jesus to come and be their deliverer. They are praying for the rider and the white horse who appears late in the book of Revelation. The rider and the white horse, of course, is Jesus himself who comes out uh, in victory, comes out, I think, in a triumphal procession in order to pass judgment on the beast and the false prophet and the kings of the earth who have opposed him and to cast them into the lake of fire. This is a crucial dimension of our prayers for Advent. We want Jesus to come to be judge. We're calling on God to judge the earth and we rejoice at Advent and Christmas because he's done that. Because the judge has come. That's what Psalm 98 is about. Psalm 98 is a prayer, a psalm of Advent. It's a psalm of Advent that's calling out for all, all peoples, all nations, all creatures to join in praise to God. It begins with a, there's a, a sevenfold exhortation to praise in Psalm 98. There are seven imperatives, basically synonyms of each other that mean praise. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Seven times it's calling on the earth and the sea. That's Israel and the Gentiles to praise. It's calling on the mountains and the rivers to praise God and to rejoice before him. It's calling on creation to rejoice in God, but land and sea, mountains and rivers also represent different kinds and groups of people. Psalm 98 exhorts all humanity to rejoice in God because he's coming, because he's done great things, and he's coming to judge the earth. That's what makes everybody happy when God comes to judge. Because when he comes to judge, he also comes to save. Coming to judge means he's putting everything right. He's sorting everything out. He's putting down the wicked, overthrowing them, putting down those who are high up that shouldn't be high up and raising up the humble, sorting out the world. That's what Israel longs for. That's what the Gentiles long for. That's what the bride is praying for when the bride is filled with the Spirit. That's what we're singing when we sing Psalm 98. And Psalm 98 is not an isolated psalm. The psalms are full of prayers for the Lord's coming that are frequently prayers for God's judgment. The Spirit and the Bride, we the Bride, filled with the Spirit, pray for the Lord to come among us and into the world as judge. Psalm 58 is addressed to the gods. These are civil gods. I don't think these are uh, polytheistic gods. I don't think these are demons. These are civil gods. 
gods who are supposed to rule with justice and equity are supposed to weigh out justice, but the psalm instead says that they weigh out violence. They're supposed to speak truth in the court, but instead they're children of their father, the devil, who is the father of lies and who speaks lies. Psalm 58 is a prayer of Advent that God would come and deal with wicked rulers, wicked gods, unjust gods. And what does the psalmist want God to do? I'm going to try to sing to you what he wants God to do. Break, O oh God, their teeth in their mouths. Smash the, smash the fangs of these lions, O oh Lord. Let them vanish like water that runs away. Let them wither like trodden grass. Let them be like the slimy track of the snail. Like the untimely birth that never sees the sun. Before ever their pots feel the heat of the thorns. Greener blazing, let them be swept away. The righteous will be glad when they see God's vengeance. They will bathe their feet in the blood of the wicked. So that people will say, truly there is a harvest for the righteous. Truly there is a God who judges on the earth. Does that sound like an Advent hymn to you? Let the wicked be like the slimy track of the snail. Break their teeth in their mouth. Make them like thorns in the fire. The righteous will see it and will bathe their feet rejoicing in the blood of the wicked. That is a psalm of Advent. That's what we're praying for as the bride when we're filled with the Spirit. We're praying for the Lord to come to break the teeth of the lions and to send the wicked away into dark places. Psalm 82 is also a psalm about the gods. I'm going to have to start lower on this one. God has taken his stand in the council of heaven. In the midst of the gods, he gives judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show such favor to the wicked? You are to judge the weak and the orphan, defend the right of the humble and needy, rescue the weak and the poor, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have no knowledge or wisdom. They walk on still in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. Therefore I say that though you are gods and all the children of the Most High, nevertheless you shall die like mortals and fall like one of their princes. Arise, O God, and judge the earth, for it is you that shall take all nations for your possession. These are gods that are supposed to judge the weak, the orphan, Defend the right of the needy. They're supposed to rescue the weak and the poor from their predators, and they don't. They become predators. This is a prayer for the Lord to come to judge and to sort out those and and to and to suppress those gods. I said that you are gods, but you shall die like mortals. That's the end of those who rule unjustly. Psalm 83, which follows, is a psalm about the Lord's coming 
to rescue Israel from her enemies. Israel surrounded by all kinds and all kinds of nations, by brother nations like the Edomites and the Ishmaelites, by cousin nations like the Moabites and the Ammonites, by distant Gentile nations like the Assyrians. And all of these nations are bearing down on Israel. And Psalm 83 is a prayer that the Lord would come and prove himself a victor over all those enemies. Make them like Sisera, Psalm 83 says. Remember Sisera, the guy with the tent peg in his head. Make our enemies like Sisera, Israel prays. Come as judge and rescue us. Make them like Ziba and Zalmunna, two other characters from the book of Judges, kings whom Gideon fought and then executed. Make them like dung on the ground. Make them like chaff before the wind. Come, Lord, rescue us. Disperse your enemies and save us. Come as judge. Come as the rider on the white horse. That's a psalm of Advent. It's a psalm about the coming and the arrival of the Lord. Psalm 94 is a psalm of Advent. A psalm that calls on the God of justice and the God of vengeance to do justice in the earth. The Spirit fills the bride with hunger and thirst for the justice of God's kingdom. And Jesus promises that those who are filled with hunger and thirst for God's kingdom and its justice will be filled. Filled by the advent of God. It's the beginning of Psalm 94. O Lord, to whom vengeance belongeth, O Lord, to whom vengeance belongeth, shine forth. Arise, thou judge of the earth, render a reward to the proud. How long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? They pour forth words, they speak arrogantly. All who do wickedness vaunt themselves. They crush thy people, O Lord, and afflict thine heritage. They slay the widow and the sojourner, and murder the fatherless. And they have said the Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob pay heed. Pay heed, you senseless among the people. When will you understand, you stupid ones? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who instructs the nations, will he not rebuke? He who teaches men knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are a mere bread. Again, rulers, gods, who instead of protecting the poor, protecting the weak, prey on them. Instead of protecting the sojourner and the widow and the fatherless, they murder them. These are not merely ancient situations, are they? Fatherless children are murdered daily in our country. Daily. By hundreds. And we want the God of vengeance to arrive and come and deal with that. And rescue the fatherless. Rescue the poor and the needy. Mary had learned the Psalms of Advent. 
And her Magnificat is another New Testament psalm of Advent. What does she praise God for? She praises God for the mercy he's shown to her because she's just a bondservant. She's a lowly young woman, no special status in Israel, and yet the Lord singled her out and chose her to bear the seed, to bring the Messiah. And so she's exalted, and all people forever will call her blessed, which we do. She's right. But she sees her own experience as just an object lesson of what God is doing in Israel. God is exalting humble Mary, and that's a sign of what God's going to do throughout the nation. He's going to lift up the, lift up the humble, and he's going to cast down the proud. He's going to cast down those who sit on thrones and put the needy and the humble on those thrones. The Lord is going to come and he's going to redistribute wealth. The greedy, the grasping are going to be left with nothing. And the hungry are going to be filled with good things as the rich are sent empty away. Mary knows the Psalms of Advent. She knows that Israel has always longed for the Lord to come as judge, for the Lord to come and bring his justice on the earth. It's easy to be sentimental about Christmas and Advent. We're surrounded, we're suffused with sentimentality. You can't listen to any playlist on the radio. Anybody listen to radio anymore? Okay. Find a playlist on your, on Spotify that isn't filled with sentimental songs about Christmas. We need an antidote to that. And the Psalms of Advent are an antidote. God has to teach us how to sing his coming. God has to teach us what we should be praying for and what we should rejoice in. And so we sing the Psalms of Advent so that we can say things that we would never otherwise say. And we can pray for things that we would never think to pray for. If you didn't have it in the Psalms, would you ever pray for God to break the teeth of the wicked? Or to make a wicked ruler melt away like the slimy track of a snail? Would that ever enter your mind? I think not. You might feel that. But you'd be too pious to utter it before God. These are the Psalms of Advent. These are the prayers for arrival that we're supposed to be praying. This is the way we sing Advent. We sing Advent, we're singing for the coming of God's justice. I think these Psalms of Advent are particularly relevant to us in Advent 2020. In the midst of all the upheaval and all of the confusion of the past year, what we most need is for God to come. We need God to be with us. We need Emmanuel We need his arrival, his arrival to comfort us, to forgive us, to be near us, to hold us close, yes. But we need his arrival in order to bring his justice into a disordered world. That's what we should be singing and praying for during this Advent 2020. We should join with the prayer of the Spirit and as the bride say, Come, Lord Jesus. Come, O heavenly judge, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray together.
Almighty God, our Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, that he comes to save the world. And he saves the world by bringing your justice into this world. We pray that you would fill us with the longing for his coming among us in our time, in our lives, for his final coming to bring final justice at the end of all things. We thank you that he has brought justice, that he has come as the judge, and that he is casting down the proud from their thrones. He is lifting up the humble and needy. We thank you that that is happening and has been happening for 2,000 years. We pray that we would continue to pray for the coming of our judge and we would rejoice when we see the vengeance, when we see God coming to be our judge and our deliverer. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.